I love how it's so quiet when you're outside just after a fresh snow. While many people would head indoors, photographers want to go out and photograph in this environment. But how do you dress to protect yourself from the cold and how do you handle gear when shooting in the winter? That's what this episode is all about, preparing for winter photography. So let's get started. Hi, I'm Terry Vanderheiden, your host of the Nature Photography Podcast. You can find this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. It's all in the main podcast players. This episode is going to be a little different as I'm also doing the same episode over on YouTube. So if you want to watch it with video, you can find it over on my YouTube channel, Terry Vanderheiden. I'll have the links down in the show notes for you. In this episode, we're going to cover winter prep for photography from head to toe. Literally. So when you're out in the cold weather, you need to protect yourself. Not only can it be dangerous, but it can just be darn uncomfortable. When you're uncomfortable, you won't stay out shooting very long. Before we start, I'd like to put out this disclaimer. Everything that I talk about, except the gloves, I personally researched, purchased with my own money, and used to make my winter photography easier and more comfortable. Now, this is what I do for cold weather. You may have some better ideas, so be sure to let me know any suggestions you have for working in the cold. You can email me at terry at imagelight.com. That's T-E-R-R-Y at I-M-A-G-E-L-I-G-H-T dot com. At the top, I use a wool line knit cap. I found this one that has a slight build to it, and it works pretty good at keeping the snow and rain off of my glasses. The most important part is that a good hat will keep you warm. A lot of heat loss can escape from the top of your head, so get a good hat. That's mandatory. Get something you can pull down and cover your ears when it gets really cold. Now, I happen to choose to use my brain cells for creating photographs and not for growing hair, so an extra wool liner on my head is very helpful. Sometimes when it's not that cold, I'll use that same liner under my wool cowboy type hat. This wide brim of this hat gives is great for keeping the rain off my face, and I can also use it as a shade when I need to look at the viewfinder in bright sunlight. The hats that I use are made by a company called Lightfelt, spelled L-I-T-E-F-E-L-T. That's the brand of who makes this hat. These are comfortable to wear for long periods at a time in both cold and summer months. I've tried some other similar products. One hat I have has kind of a satin brim on the inside, looks great, but I don't care for that as much because the satin is kind of cold against my skin. But of course, if you have more hair than I do, that may not be a problem. This type of wool hat is great because you can roll it up and pack it and it comes back to shape in no time. And it's perfect as a rain hat because the water will just bounce off it. I hardly ever bring an umbrella anytime I go out these days. Next is face and neck covering. A good first choice would be a balaclava. Not to be confused with baklava, the Greek pastry. The balaclava covers your whole head and neck and it's long enough to tuck down into your shirt. They're usually made of a stretchy fabric that you can pull down to expose more of your face if you want. 
to find them, just do an internet search for, say, ninja clothing. You'll find them that way. Another product I use is called Turtle Fur. I bought mine at REI, and I'm sure there's others available out there. The one I use is kind of like a fabric tube that goes over your neck. This has a couple of layers of fabric and keeps my neck warm and especially keeps the wind from blowing down inside my jacket. Because that's what you want. The next product is a good outerwear jacket. There are tons of outerwear jackets to choose from. I use a rugged jacket that provides some cold protection and water protection. Mine is from Carhartt. That's spelled C-A-R-H-A-R-T-T. So two T's if you want to look it up online. I bought a jacket that's a bit more roomier so that if I needed to cover equipment under my jacket or wear a vest, I still could. And I do wear a vest. Currently, I have a Patagonia down vest bought as well at REI. Down, as you know, comes from geese and it's valued for its lightweight. Of course, light as a feather, we all know that. And it's crushable. It's great for pulling out of a pack to get some instant insulation. The down traps pockets of warm air close to the skin, keeping the warm air in and the cold air out. The numbers that are associated with down, 900 fill, 600 fill, are more of a designation of the quality of the down than how warm they'll keep you. Essentially, the higher number is the less down is required to keep you warm. A higher down number means less down, which will mean less bulk. So it will be lighter and easier to pack. The down weight that you may have also seen on this outerwear means how much down is actually packed into the product. So if you have a good fill quality number like say 800 and above and a high amount of gram weight, say two to 300 grams, that will yield the warmest possible product. But be careful. Consider that you may be upping your bulk when you go for that type of heavier outerwear. Under the vest, I wear a long sleeve flannel shirt either regular flannel shirt or occasionally the ones that are fleece lined. The fleeced lined ones are the warmest flannel shirts. These are great if you're hopping out of the car to shoot or if you're just gonna go stand around and wait for the light. If you're gonna do any hiking that would work up a sweat, choose layers of clothing that is not cotton as cotton doesn't wick away sweat very well. A better choice for hiking might be wool and synthetic materials that dry faster and move perspiration away from the skin. Under my main shirt, I like to wear a thin mock turtleneck that's actually from the golf industry. I like the FootJoy Pro Dry Performance Golf Mock. This is made from a polyester blend fabric and also has a little bit of spandex added in. It has sweat wicking properties. So if you do perspire hiking to a location, the moisture will be pulled away from your skin. The idea here is that the moisture is quickly pulled away from the skin and transferred to the other side of the fabric, thereby keeping you warm and allowing the moisture to dry away faster. Layering is the key to cold weather photography clothing. More layers create barriers to trap air and insulate the body in a better way. Also, you can remove clothing as you need to, to keep comfortable. After the break, we'll talk more about getting yourself geared up for winter photography. As a professional photographer, I use Adobe Lightroom just about every day. 
I like it for organizing my images, and I try to do as much work in there as I can on those images before I take them into Photoshop. While Photoshop is a great program for editing your images, Lightroom is much faster. Like most photographers, I bring my selected images into the develop module and take care of the overall color and exposure. But the real workhorse I use is Lightroom's brush tool. In the brush tool, I can do just about anything I can do in the basic panel, but on a tip of a brush. If I want to tone down the highlights on a waterfall, I use the brush tool. If I want to enhance the eyes of one of my wildlife subjects, I use the brush tool. The biggest pain about this workflow is loading the brushes with the proper parameters each time. Luckily, Lightroom has brush presets, and I encourage you to use them yourselves. It does take time to build all the brushes you need for the kind of photography that you do. I concentrated on building brushes built just for wildlife and nature photography. Now I have all these brushes ready to go, and I'm offering these same brushes for you to use with your photography. For a limited time, I'm offering both my wildlife brushes and my black and white landscape brushes together for $19.99. They're regularly priced at $50. You can follow the links in the show notes or go to my website, imagelight.com. That's spelled I-M-A-G-E-L-I-G-H-T dot com. Click on the digital products and order them right there. With every order, I'm also including exclusive access to video tutorials on how each and every brush works. So speed up your Lightroom workflow today by making your own preset brushes. Or you can support this podcast by purchasing mine. Either way, you'll like how it helps with your creativity and the final results out of Lightroom. Next up and very important is keeping your hands warm. Just like all your extremities, the farther out you go from the body, the more chance they're going to get colder faster. Plus, you're using your hands to touch other cold things, like moving snow out of the way and grabbing an icy tripod light. There are two schools of thought on gloves. First, you can get two pair of gloves. One thin pair called the liner gloves that goes under the gloves, then a bulkier pair that goes over that, with the thought that the thin gloves will give you more dexterity on the dials of your camera. There is another solution, and that is getting photography gloves. These photography gloves were sent to me by the company Valorette. The version I have are called the Markoff 2.0. They also make a version that's a bit heavier called the Ipsuit, if you're in extreme cold weather. What makes these gloves special is the thumb and the fingertip. Each can open up to easily expose the fingertip and thumb to get true dexterity for your camera controls. Now they've also thought ahead and placed small magnets in the gloves to secure that glove tip out of the way while you're working with your exposed fingers. This works really good. Just open up the fingertip, do what you need to do, and then close it up after you're done. This also eliminates the need for gloves that are touchscreen, conductive finger gloves, when you want to operate a smartphone or touch the screens on the back of your camera. I've used touchscreen gloves before, and they work some of the time, but not consistently. So these finger-exposing gloves are better because of the true touch control that they have. 
you can get these gloves at their website, photographygloves.com. Remember to order a size just a little larger than the sizing guide says for a better fit. That's my experience. Now that you're covered from the waist up, you need to cover the rest of your body. With pants, I like to start with something warm, like a thermal long john that covers you down all the way down to your ankles. You can get these in all kinds of materials, but stay away from cotton on this base layer that's against your skin. I also use lined pants for colder areas, or if I'm just going to be standing around a lot. That's when you can really get cold, just standing around. Now over these pants, you can cover them with water-resistant rain pants or snow pants. This layer will keep you from getting wet. And getting wet is the problem, since it takes much longer to dry in cold weather. On the bottom of my pants, I use gaiters. These gaiters snug around your calves, go under your hiking boots, and actually you can secure it with the front lace of your boots. But more on that in just a minute. These gaiters allow you to trudge through the snow and not get snow down into your boots. Snow in your boots is the killer. Having wet feet will ruin your outdoor shoot faster than just about anything. Speaking of boots, I use waterproof boots made by Merrill. Mine I got as well at REI, and these boots start with a Gore-Tex outer shell. Gore-Tex is a very popular waterproofing fabric, and what makes it special is its breathability. Gore-Tex fabric has in the middle of it a very thin membrane that has over 9 billion pores per square inch. These pores are 20,000 times smaller than water droplets, so water can't pass through the membrane. However, these pores are also 700 times larger than water vapor, which this allows the water vapor to escape. So when you're perspiring, you generate this vapor. If it wasn't allowed to escape, it would build up and turn into fluid. Fluid next to your body will get cold and consequently make you very cold. Some waterproof shells are kind of like being wrapped in plastic wrap. You would indeed keep the water out, but you'd also trap 100% of it on the inside next to your skin. So anything Gore-Tex is great to have on. The only downside about Gore-Tex is it's somewhat pricey, so it can get expensive to be completely decked out in Gore-Tex. There are other breathable products out there other than Gore-Tex, but this just happens to be the most recognizable brand. So these Merrill boots also have a tiny hook built in near the front laces, and that's where the gaiters that we talked about earlier can hook onto. This secures the gaiters to cover your laces on your boots. So when you're shopping for good hiking boots, take a look and see if they have a hook or some other provision for attaching gaiters. On your feet, look for a warm pair of socks. And I often use liner pair of socks in, to help keep the feet dry. Consider your socks when it comes to sizing your boots, as thicker socks may require you to go up a size or so in your boots. On the bottom of your shoes, I recommend snow tracks or something like it. I consider these chains for your shoes. They attach with flexible rubber little metal spikes on the outside and then dig into the ice. I just keep these right in the door of my truck so I can slip them on as soon as I step out of the vehicle. Because slipping on ice while carrying camera gear is just never fun. Another option wearing snow pants, gaiters, and spiked hiking boots is getting a good pair of chest waders. 
These offer good insulation against the cold and perfect waterproofness. These, of course, are from the fly fishing industry, and the pair I have is from a company called Reddington. When wearing waders, you are waterproof up to your chest, so trudging through snow, water, tall weeds, just about anything, you're protected. This makes it a great year-round tool to have access to. Most waders go down to a neoprene booty that you then slip over wading boots. My boots are made from Sims, and I bought the boots that I could attach tiny metal studs to the bottom. This gives you great traction through ice, as well as river bottoms. So when you're looking at wader boots, there are a couple of things to consider. First is the fit. You'll be in these for long periods of time and likely hiking with them on. So get a good pair that are comfortable and lightweight. Consider that they'll be going over thick neoprene booty, so you may have to get a size or two larger than you would normally wear. Now there are a couple of options with wader boots. Since this product's gonna be used year round and not just in the snow, you can use them to get all your water level shots in streams, rivers, and lakes. All wader boots are built to drain well, as that's the design. It's the sole of the boots that make a difference. A very popular sole for wader boots is felt. This is so comfortable, it feels like walking on a plush carpet. While they don't do good in snow, they grip really well on slimy river bottoms. The problem with felt-soled boots is that they're outlawed in many states. That is because the felt takes time to really dry out and organisms can live on the soles of those boots for quite some time. The fishing industry has traced back the transfer of harmful organisms from river to river to the soles of felt wading boots, which means many states will not allow them in their waterways. The solution is to do what I did. Get the rubber-soled boots that can accept the metal studs. The only drawback to the metal studded boots is that you can't go walking into a store or home that has floors that'll be damaged by the metal studs. So if you do want to go inside, you'll need to take off your boots and sometimes you'll have to take your waders off as well. A solution to that problem is to get a second pair of boots and don't put the metal studs in on that pair. That way you can slip on regular boots over your wader booties and then move about unrestricted. There you have it. You're all dressed and ready for winter's harshest weather. Now let's talk about how to deal with your equipment. Most professional and semi-professional cameras and lenses are what's considered watertight. But check with the manufacturer before you subject your camera to any of the elements. They do sell these little camera rain jackets if you're photographing in high moisture areas. These can completely protect your camera lenses if need be. I have some, but I seldom use them. If it's snowing while I'm shooting, I just drape a towel over the camera to keep it mostly dry. It probably goes without saying that you want to be careful about changing lenses and memory cards while out in the elements. Maybe going back to your car to dry off and make the change is really the smartest way to go. One of the cold weather issues we deal with is less battery life in the cold. Don't be surprised that your batteries will deplete sooner than you're used to while in cold temperatures. 
This is a pretty easy fix. Just bring along extra batteries that are fully charged and keep them in a pocket close to your body. Keep them at a comfortable temperature until you need them. Another battle that occurs in cold weather is condensation. If you happen to breathe on your viewfinder, it can fog up. While there shouldn't be a situation for you to breathe condensation on the front element of your lens, but it can happen. So bringing along a lens cleaning cloth is a good idea. Condensation can also build up on your equipment from going in and out of a warm car or a hotel room. A couple of things to protect against that is to keep your car as cold as the outside by not running the heat and leaving the windows open when you can. Now you're gonna likely be dressed for the cold, so that shouldn't be a comfort problem. When you come inside for the day, leave your camera bag zipped up and leave it that way until everything comes to temperature. The condensation will form on the outside of the bag first, and that's okay. If your tripod has been in and out of the snow or water, make sure to extend the legs fully and stand it up in your room to fully dry out. That way moisture doesn't collect in the joints or the tightening connections. You can also take your tripod completely apart if you think you need to in order to dry it out completely. Planning ahead is the best way to go. Make sure you have the right lens on before you go out. Now this is not always ideal, but if you're going out to shoot scenics in the river, have your wide angle attached. If you're going out to shoot foxes in their winter coats, bring just your camera with a long lens attached. Make sure in advance your batteries are fully charged and you have an empty clean memory card installed, ready to go. Winter can be a great time to get out and photograph. A lot of times animals are more interested in their next meal than worried about you standing over there with a camera. The winter will also minimize how many people are out photographing nature just because it takes more preparation to go out and many people don't want to put that time in. That means less people in your background scaring off wildlife where you're out there photographing. Nobody wants to be uncomfortable for a very long time. So having the proper clothing and gear a lot of times will give you the scene all to yourself. So be prepared and get out there in the cold and wet weather to do some spectacular photography. Thanks for listening to the Nature Photography Podcast. This is Terry Vanderheiden, and we'll see you next time.